Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Average Joe Wrestling Show. I am your host, Nick LaTrenta. This is our very first episode, hopefully the first of many, we shall see. And I am here with my guest, Kevin Donatello. Uh, Kevin, can you uh, say hello and maybe tell us a little bit about yourself before we get rolling here? Awesome. Nick, thank you for the introduction. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Kevin. I uh, know Nick for quite some time, 32 years or so, and uh, I am a wrestling fan. I was a huge wrestling fan uh, growing up in, in middle school and high school and kind of fell out of it in college, but got back into it in the late, you know, late 2000s prior to 2010 and, and really haven't looked back since. So uh, very excited to, to be the first guest. Yeah, excellent. So, Kev, we met back in kindergarten, right? That's how for so 32 years. All yep. you math geniuses out there can do that math uh, to see how old we are. <laughs> and uh, we grew up, oh, God, I mean, what, a five-minute walk, a ten-minute walk from each other? Uh, not not even a ten-minute walk, a five-minute walk, just a couple blocks away. Yeah, yeah. So we go way back. And, you know, we were, in one sense, always wrestling fans, but in another sense, not. We kind of, like, went in and out, I would say, because I watched it a little bit when I was very little, but... And we'll get into this more in a minute. You kind of got more into it in like around 1996. Would that be right? Yes, de definitely 1996. I knew about it when I was five, six years old, you know, introduced to like Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior right. with the uh, those wrestling buddy type of things. And, yeah. you know, a little behind the scenes stuff. But, Nick, you, you sent me those questions. Um, I don't know if you scrolled all the way down to the bottom yes i saw you, you saw you saw that saw that uh, ultimate warrior wrestling buddy yeah um so so i had a couple of those but like i never really watched it but i i did know of the big you know household names i love hogan uh warrior uh macho man um especially from those commercials step into a slim gym you know oh, yeah <laughs> step into a slim gym exactly um and then i really started watching it in 1996. Now, for anybody who might be listening, hopefully we'll have more than just two or three listeners listening to this, but for anyone who might be listening that is a bit younger, um, they probably don't know what a wrestling buddy is. Can you tell us what exactly is a wrestling buddy? Uh, I'll try to explain it. Sure. It's kind of like a, um, uh, oh, geez, how would you explain it? Uh, kind of like a stuffed animal in, in in a sense yeah but in the human form yeah exactly and Good. it's mm -hmm. all decked out in uh one's wrestling gear so hulk hogan had the uh red and yellow mm -hmm. bandana and the red and yellow muscle shirt uh with hulkamania uh i think i think it said hulkamania printed probably across the front yeah. of it ultimate warrior had the green and purple um you know, ribbons tied around its arm. Right. And, you know, it was no more than maybe a foot, foot and a half tall. Right. So it was something you could bring to bed with you, something you could have the two um, wrestling buddies kind of like pretend fight each other. Um, it was just one of the, one of, a, a genius way to market your, uh, your wrestlers. Yeah, that's one thing. And we'll probably wind up inadvertently talking about that a little bit once we start talking about Vince McMahon. One thing that WWE, I dare say, is the best at is marketing. 
and advertising. I mean, is that true or not? I, I would think so. I, I definitely would. And the way they've done it throughout the years, how they evolved um, with it. And it, I, I remember, again, going back to 1996, watching those pay-per-views yeah. and seeing those promos of, of, um, of Doc you know, saying, oh, you could buy, uh, you know, HBK shirt uh, with his face on it or Bret Hart's or Undertaker shirts. Right. And then they quickly or not quickly, but they got away from that and started marketing in different mm-hmm. ways where you would get, you know, uh, teenagers and adults to start buying their their merchandise instead of just targeted towards kids. So the way right. they evolved, I thought over time was was pretty genius in itself. And they always found ways to evolve. Yeah, it's really incredible. So what we're going to do here today is uh, we were originally going to go strictly into some nostalgia-oriented stuff, which hopefully we will still have the time to do, talking about how we got into wrestling and specifically our favorite storylines, which is always fun to talk about. But there has just been way too much going on in the wrestling world right now uh, to not start about talking about Vince McMahon. And really, that's what this show is all about. That's why we call it the Average Joe Wrestling Show, is because uh, we're not Conrad Thompson, we're not Bruce Pritchard. We are huge fans of theirs and all those podcasts, which is really the, all those podcasts, which is really the inspiration for this podcast. Um, but sometimes, you know, maybe people want to hear from Average Joes, guys who are not in the business. Uh, we've been to plenty of shows and things like that, but we've never like worked for any company or anything like that. Um, so you get to hear a whole new perspective here and hear things from the fans perspective and not just on uh, the inside, which hopefully some people will find very interesting. So without further ado, we got to get to it. Vince McMahon retiring. Now I have said Many, many times, I thought, and I'm sure a lot of people thought the same thing. I heard Eric Bischoff on his podcast the other day saying something very similar, that you would have to pry that company from his cold, dead hands. I thought he was going to be in that company uh, until he died and basically run it until either he died or just wasn't mentally or physically able to. And now we get this random announcement a couple of weeks ago at this point. I mean, we're recording here on August 4th, 2022. So uh, what was it, Kevin? Around July 20th, 21st, something like it that? Was, it was um, oh, it was a week and a half, I think, before SummerSlam. It yeah. was, yeah, I think, I think the Friday or Thursday before, I don't know, it was before SummerSlam. Yeah, it was right around before SummerSlam. You're right. And I'm still kind of in shock about it. I mean... You have a couple of ways of looking at this. You know, first of all, did he really do what they're accusing him of? I don't want to go too much into that because, you know, I don't know. And I'm not excusing that kind of behavior by any stretch of the imagination. If he did do that, that kind of behavior is inexcusable. So we're going to look at this really, you know, strictly from the, uh, you know, fan and business standpoint of this uh, and the ramifications it would have. I mean, this company has been around, uh, I want to say since, uh, I might have this date wrong, uh, around 1963 was when when it um, became its own uh, entity. Uh, for 
any wrestling fans here that are into the history of wrestling, there was originally something called the National Wrestling Alliance, which was um, back in the days where there were territories all over the country. There would be an organization that would really just be in one or two states or a certain area of the country and things like that. And um, uh, Capital Wrestling Corporation was a part of that. And it was owned by Vince McMahon Sr. And around 1963, he broke off. Other companies slowly started breaking off from the NWA. And he formed the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, um, the WWWF, which is a mouthful. And then uh, much later, his son, Vince McMahon Jr., I want to say somewhere in the 1980s, mid-1980s, Vince McMahon um, Jr. took over and really took it and made it a juggernaut, even though... The Triple WF uh, seceded from the NWA. It was still pretty much just a regional territory. It was pretty much just the Northeast. But Vince McMahon took it global uh, and then some. And, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, you don't need really tell, you don't really need us to tell you about Vince McMahon. So, uh, so Kevin, tell me your thoughts of, you know, what was your reaction when you first heard that Vince McMahon was retiring? Stunned. Um, because just like you said, and I didn't get a chance to listen to, uh, the 83 weeks, um, podcast that you had referenced. I had wanted to, um, but I just thought he was going to either, you know, not be able to do it anymore. Um, or, you know, unfortunately just kind of, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but just kind of pass away as he's working. He had that kind of, yeah mentality so I, I was initially stunned but looking back on everything nick it kind of made sense yeah. um just by the way he uh, everything played out i think it was june 15th uh the the allegations came out right. of um, him paying 12 million dollars or so um and then him stepping down a couple of days later whatever it happened to be so the, the writing i think was on the wall all along um Maybe many inside of WWE kind of knew it was happening. Uh, maybe a few people knew. Right. But I think for a, lo- a lot of the fans, we were just kind of taken aback by it because we yeah. just never thought it, it, was, it would come along. You know, from, from the legal standpoint and the business standpoint, um, if he used his own personal money, that's a lot different than using the corporate money because it's a publicly traded company that's a big um, aspect of it yeah it's a, it's a huge difference and again not that it makes it right right because it definitely doesn't make it right but if we're, we're talking about strictly business and legal standpoints right um with the wwe being a publicly traded company there's 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 a difference and that can't be um ignored you but know i think mm-hmm. it's for the betterment of the company that the distraction um, within the talent, within the front office is gone, and that distraction being Vince. And everyone can just kind of move along and not tiptoe around what's going on. And a, I don't want to say a brighter future, but I'll say it, a brighter future is ahead. You have many talent coming out already saying that they are excited for what the future has to hold. I just, as you were talking, I just got an alert on my phone um, that Becky Lynch says she is excited that Triple H is taking over. It's really? phenomenal um, that, that he's taking over creative. So 
I think more good is going to come out of it from the business standpoint for the fans um, than, than anything else. Do you, um, do you think if WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment, was a privately held company, do you think this would be different? Do you think, in other words, do you think he still would have resigned? Or do you think because if it was, in theory, privately held? And the reason I'm bringing this up, and I'm kind of borrowing a little bit from 83 Weeks here, because this was talked about, you know, Vince McMahon took on the federal government not too long ago. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, not too long ago. Uh, and he was facing serious prison time with that. Um, and it kind of uh, makes me wonder, like, you know, if it was a privately held company, would he have resigned or uh, would he still have resigned because of our climate today and our culture today with these kinds of things? What do you think? Um, I'll give you my answer, and then I want to know what what they had said on their podcast. Right. Like I said, I hadn't, I didn't listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would have resigned. I think it would have been yeah. a much harder fight. I think it would have went on a little longer. I think it may have dragged out in the courts. Um, and, and and but the climate has changed drastically. And, and what happened in the early 90s with the steroids versus mm. what's being accused now are two completely different things. This right? is true. So you, you can't compare them. It's like apples and oranges. Um, but the climate has changed. So I think he would have resigned. I think it would have been maybe a little longer or just a, a different route, if you will. Yeah, interesting. You know, I don't. I could be recalling this incorrectly, but I don't think they exactly said. I remember Bischoff just saying something like, "Well, remember, it's not a private company back when he had to go to trial with the steroid thing." So I guess the implication was they felt that he might have not resigned. Uh, I don't want to put words in their mouth. I'm not a hundred percent sure, um, but I, I I tend to agree with you. I think because of the uh, difference in climate today, certainly. Um, well, and, and I'm, I'm not, mm-hmm. not to jump in, Nick, but sure, also, sure. You, you think about all the great things um, from the humanitarian standpoint that, that WWE has been doing yeah. over the last, you know, decade plus, and even longer than that, um, it, it would almost be somewhat hypocritical mm-hmm. of, of him not to do it. And, you know, you can make the argument to of them going to Saudi Arabia but not having the females wrestle at first. Right. Um, and, and, and now they're starting to do it, albeit it's not – we can touch that a different day if you want to. Um, but you, you could make that that you do all these great things. This company, your company, does all these great things, but here you are being accused of what you're being accused of but not stepping down. Right, um, right. Yeah, very it, good point. It, it, com- it comes off as hypocritical. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Do you remember my reaction when the news came out that he's retiring? Nick, I got I to gotta tell you something. And for, for you know, the, the two or three and hopefully more fans listening to this, uh, <laughs> you, you, me, and, and, and Dan, uh, who hopefully will come on one day. Yeah, I hope uh, so. We, we have this long text thread and texts just go on and on. I, I can't remember what you guys were texting us this morning. So, um, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Pretty much, uh, for, for the listeners out there, pretty much, uh, Kevin, Dan and I, well, first of all, we should say, you know, the, the three of us are a trio of best friends and, uh, we met Dan in the third grade and probably started becoming very close with him in the fourth grade. And if anything, 
we got to blame him for, for this, not for Vince McMahon retiring. I mean, for us being wrestling fans, because honestly, he's the one that really got me into it. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but yeah, we always have this thread going, talking about wrestling. And my initial reaction was, like you said, I was stunned and I was shocked. And honestly, I didn't believe it. And there's still a small part of me, though I highly doubt this is true, but there's still a small part of me that thinks it's a work or wonders if it's a work. Um, if it's a work, it would be the greatest work of all times, of all time. For anyone listening who's not familiar with that terminology, a work is means a storyline, that it's scripted, it's not real. And um, that was my first reaction because I just cannot see that man retiring. I mean, what is he going to do with himself? This was his life for... How many years? I mean, you know, if you want to say, I want to say he took over around 83 or 84. You know, we were born in 85. So you're talking close to 40 years of his life. The man is 77. So that's the majority of his life. And that's not including before he owned it. He was working in commentary and other jobs when his father owned it. I, I can't see the man doing anything else. Um, so there's a part of me, and it's a small part, um, that wonders, could it possibly be a work? What do you think about that? Uh, it, I doubt it. Yeah, I, I know. I, I have to. I have to disagree with you. If, I mm. mean, like, if it is, like you said, it would be the greatest work of all time. I just can't see it happening. Um, you, you talk about he's got an ego from at least what we see on TV. Right? Yeah. We, no, we've never met the guy. Um, right. He wouldn't know us from anybody on the street right but that would have to be some massive ego he would have to pull that off of saying i'm going to retire i'll send this tweet out um to announce my retirement to have it blow up in all of these financial magazines to have it be all over mainstream media now there, there's really nothing that the wwe is gaining by him publicity-wise, retiring. I guess that's like true. The Monday Night Wars with, with Mike Tyson coming back or Dennis right. Rodman going to WCW or right. Jay Leno and all that stuff. Right. So, I, I mean, it would just be for his pure ego, I would think. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's I part of the, like, the trauma. I almost felt hearing that he retired. Like, it's just, it, it's surprising. Like, you know, it's really, really surprising. Uh, one of my, uh, my my cousin, another one who I hope I could get on the show down the line, also named Dan, you know, has this theory that he's kind of, um, and maybe I shouldn't put the words on in his mouth, but along the lines, he might still kind of secretly be running things, or maybe not so secretly, but just still like giving input and things like that. Um, I, I I don't know. I feel like if he retires. He retires, like yeah, you know, it's like a kind of like um, Rocky Four, Ivan Drago. If he dies, then he dies. Like you know, like I can't see if he retires. I guess technically he could be a consultant, you know, uh, and people could consult him with ideas. But I feel like that man has got to either be in charge or not in charge. I don't feel like there's any mid ground for him. Correct. Consulting would be, um. The, the route I would go before I would say that it's a work. Right. Um, but you're, you're a hundred percent right. Just everything we know about, about the man, um, and his work ethic is that he would have to be in charge. 
Right. So uh, consulting, no, you're, you're not in charge at that point. And how many people in WWE are probably happy in, in, in one sense that he's gone, that, that they could kind of work their, their own way and, and things can kind of change. Um, and they don't have to tiptoe around, around the office. And, and I say that I, um, I, I say that I do have a friend, mm-hmm. um, who, who did work for the WWE. He right. got let go about a year ago or right. so, a, a little more. So, um, I don't want to say I have inside information because right. I don't, um, but just knowing that he's gone, just kind of, everyone just kind of breathes away a sigh of relief, but also everyone's a little nervous at the same time too, because is another shoe going to drop or is the company going to sell maybe, um, are, are people going to lose jobs? But that's, that's a different conversation than, than one we're having, but mm. Thought I would just throw that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, so let's talk about that now. The the impact, you know, more than likely I'm wrong. It's not a work. And now we got to talk about the impact this has. And you know, will WWE go on? I mean, my initial answer is yes. Uh, I know there's a lot of naysayers out there that will say no, and a lot of people probably don't want it to go on. You know, from a fan standpoint, but there's you know, this part that a lot of people are talking about, a little bit of uh, excitement. You know, I'm kind of sad to see him gone. You know, again, I don't excuse what he allegedly did. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But I I have two parts of me. There's one part of me that looks at it like, especially as a creative person, like, you know, uh, uh, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, I'm a teacher. You know, so a lot of what I do is in creation. And you know, as a teacher, you know, whether you realize it or not, you're very creative. You're creating lesson plans. You're creating a certain way to present something to your audience, which is your students. It's, it's a very creative process. And, you know, when uh, uh, you have to kind of let go of that creative process, especially something like, so you're, you're so attached to, like, to give you an example, I've been writing screenplays, as you know, and I've been putting them in festivals and things like that. And I'm hoping to God one day, to either sell them and be a part in making them or to make them on my own. I don't think I could sell something and completely walk away from it because it's my creation. Like, you know what I mean? Um, yep. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes me think of, do you remember the old NWO angle when they tried the NWO? We definitely have to do an episode on that one day in WWE and McMahon is sitting uh, in front of the mirror and he goes, I'm going to kill my creation. I'm going to kill it. Like, like, you know, like, and now like someone else is taking it over. So there is a part of me that feels like kind of bad for him in that sense. Uh, You know, to be honest, again, not excusing if he did something wrong, but there is another part of me that's also very excited about it. You know, I mean, it's called spade a spade. Triple H knows what he's doing. I mean, they don't call him the game for nothing, you know, and it does well, seem he, like people are excited. For how many years, and he knows all of the wrestlers. It, it's not like you're bringing right. in somebody who doesn't, who doesn't know the business. It's not like you're, right. you know, I know, I, I don't want to use the example because I'm not that knowledgeable on it. Shame on me for even bringing his name up, but it's not like you're bringing in a, a Vince Russo type. Who, right, right. Who, mm-hmm who's around the business, but you're bringing someone up who actually 
ran a a subdivision of the WWE who works with talent, who understands right. the creative process, who who can get these wrestlers to deliver, who you know that if if a wrestler is brought up or has been brought up, that they're just not going to quote unquote die on the main roster. Right. How many yeah. times have we have we said, or maybe I said it to myself, well, oh, well, they're going to Raw. They're, 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 <laughs> they're done. done. They're going to... Vince has no idea what to do with them. I think an expression that we use, probably created by Dan, is, oh, they're going to ruin him. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So we, we don't have to worry about that um, with, with Triple H. You're not bringing in your, um, you know, plug of the show, an average Joe. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. Not bringing in a you or me to do it who has no idea what's right. going on. So, right. you know, I, I think the company is in is in good hands. I think we've seen some really, um, you know, some some awesome changes so far. You know, do those changes keep up over time? The only time will tell. But so far, I think a lot of people um, like what they see. But I'm sure there's also a lot of people who who don't like what they see as well. Well, that's a perfect transition, talking about liking what they see and uh, the start of new t changes. Um, from If what we're hearing and reading is true, SummerSlam was really the first, at least the first, major outing uh, without any Vince McMahon input. I mean, now to put that in context, he was around to the buildup of SummerSlam, so I'm sure he had... A lot of input leading up to this event. I really think that the next event, um, uh, I want to say it's the one that's going to be in uh, the UK coming up with Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre, but that probably will be the the first one where it's completely Triple H and Stephanie. Uh, but uh, and for uh, again, anybody listening right now, maybe use a little bit out of the loop with this. Triple H was a wrestler who uh, later married Vince McMahon's daughter, Stephanie McMahon. Uh, and eventually semi-retired to help run the company, then completely retired due to injury. And now the Vince McMahon's gone. He's the head of creative, you know. Uh, so that's a really quick summary of Triple H. But, um, you know, still the final calls for SummerSlam would have been by Triple H. And uh, we both read a couple of things that, you know, I read, and take this with a grain of salt. We don't know if this is true or not, that uh, it was his idea for Becky Lynch to turn face. Uh, at SummerSlam, um, which I liked, frankly, uh, you know, and uh, I think we should talk about SummerSlam now. Uh, let's go through, you know, maybe not necessarily every single match. We'll kind of see where the conversation goes, but let's Nick, go I'm through sorry, that card. Nick, real, real quick, yeah. I, 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 I want to bring up, yeah. sorry for the, the stuttering, um, that first <laughs> Raw, that first Monday Night Raw, um, so the Raw leading in the go-home show to, to SummerSlam. Right. Um, Oh, would that have been it? Up, open, you, I don't know if you saw it, but it opened up with a fight between Miz and um, and I'm going to get his name wrong. Logan Paul. Logan Paul. Logan, Logan Paul. Paul. Yeah, yeah. Logan Paul. It, it, it was great because all of a sudden USA does its intro and there's a brawl right to, to start that. Right. Right to start that Raw. And that was Triple H's first full, full Raw. But yes, absolutely, Vince McMahon had everything to do with the lead-up up to SummerSlam and right. everything going forward, kind of like a brand-new season. It's it's a right. Triple H uh, show. So yes, SummerSlam. 
Right, right. And, you know, if you think about it, a- another way to kind of look at it is it's almost like, you know, Vince McMahon did wrestle a couple times later in his life, but he was never a wrestler. He did certainly didn't start as a wrestler. He was always, um, he was an on-screen talent and a behind-the-scenes guy, but not a wrestler. It's kind of like like an actor becoming a director or a baseball player becoming a coach or any sport becoming a coach. It's a little bit of a different perspective when you participated in the athletics or the event or whatever it is, and then you're behind the scenes. And I think that's kind of a telltale of now you might know a wrestler is running the show. You're just starting with a brawl. You're not even getting to, I mean, how many Raws have we seen that just start with talking, 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 talking? That might have been, I guess, a little more during the Attitude Era, but I think that's a great call, starting the show with a brawl. What do you think? It, it, it excited me. Like, I, I, I came home I, I came home from my kid's swim lesson. I think we're at the swim lessons. Anyway, mm-hmm. I came home. I turned on Raw, um, you know, two minutes before 8 o'clock, and the first thing I see was them going at it. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, what did I miss? Like, it felt like I yeah. missed something because we're so used yeah. to the the opening promo of whoever it is right um so to get that was like all right like i could get behind this um so that that was just an awesome feeling i said to myself okay if this is how it's going to be mm-hmm. from now on um and again you can't open up raw every week like that no of course but not. like if you're going to open up with some kind of excitement or something different once in a while like i'm on board yeah but let, let's do this Ditto. And that takes us right to uh, SummerSlam. And, um, you know, let's let's talk about, uh, there's a lot we want to talk about here. And before we start recording, we talked about a few things like with this. Uh, I want to actually start, uh, let's start w- with the storylines and the actual matches. Uh, and uh, since we're kind of on that topic. And then I do want to talk about the venue. Let's remember to talk about that with the crowd and everything like that. But um, show opens up. Uh, Becky Lynch uh, versus, um, oh, God, help me, Kevin. I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, it was EST. EST, yes, yes, which uh, I, I can't believe I forgot her name for a second. I actually love Bianca that gimmick. Blair. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that gimmick, and I love th- that fact that she uses the EST. I just think that's so clever, frankly. Uh, solid opening match. I feel like these women uh, really just many times have better matches than the guys, quite frankly. I mean, I've seen so many great women's matches the last couple of years. Uh, and I have it pulled up here, uh, the uh, results and the times and everything. They went about 15 minutes and 10 seconds. I don't believe that includes uh, entrances or anything like that. Um, what were your thoughts on the match? Like you said, these women pull off amazing matches. And when I saw that these two were uh, opening off SummerSlam, kicking it off, I knew they were, they were going to get the crowd uh, amped up and right. into it. And that's what you want to do as a first match. And they definitely succeeded. Um, how many times have we watched during the Attitude Era, Nick, you know, uh, a Sable match or, right. or, or uh, and any kind of match like that? And nothing against them. The time was the time back then. Yeah, it was different. But, Women's wrestling has evolved tremendously, and these two put on one heck of a performance. Um, and, and, and they got the show going off, and they, they did a tremendous job. Yeah, you think and about I, I, I it. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was just happy that Bianca re- retained. Um, and 
listen to, I, I don't right. give away spoilers. Sorry for doing that, but yeah, we're going to talk about spoilers, folks. So if you haven't seen this, just just go look it up now or watch it now. Go for it, Kev. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like with, with the internet and with Peacock, uh, yeah, you can't escape it. Right. Um, my my biggest fear was just having Bianca lose lose all that momentum. And then having you know Becky walk away with the title, uh, I, I, I want to see other women just succeed. Um, right. So again, having Bianca come on top, I thought was the right call. And I think and then it, we actually mm-hmm. see what happens after the match. I'll let you talk about. Oh that. yeah, but yeah. It, 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 it made for it. It was perfect. Yeah, and I, I gotta say too, that's a perfect example of like you know Becky Lynch lost and lost clean, but just as over. A wrestling term for just as uh, popular and just as interesting um, by losing. I mean, because they had such a hard-fought match. I don't feel like every single match needs to end in a DQ or a count-out just because someone's a heel or something like that, a, a bad guy, quote-unquote. But um, it, it really helped both of them very much. And then right at the end, we had the return of uh, uh, Bailey and Dakota Kai, and uh, how do you say the other one? Uh, um, Io Sky? Is that her name? I'm not as familiar. Yeah, I, believe, I believe that's how you say it. That's who it is. That's how I would say it. Right. Um, but I'm not sure if the yeah. pronunciation is correct. Yeah. We're going to put your names, folks. Yes, yes. We apologize for that. But that was really cool, especially to see uh, Bailey back. I'm, I'm more familiar with her. I don't watch. I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for this, but I don't watch NXT that much. I really, really should. Uh, because I, I watch it here and there. It's just, you know, nowadays there's just so much content. There's just only so much you could watch. And, you know, you could even make an argument for myself that I'm more of a classic wrestling fan than I am a modern wrestling fan now. But I certainly still do watch and love the modern stuff, maybe just not as much as I used to. But, um, you know, I saw um, Bailey at, actually, NXT, ironically, even though I don't watch the show as much, I went to an NXT house show years ago in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York with uh, my wife, who was just my girlfriend back then. And she uh, bought me tickets for my birthday. And we went together, we went to that show. And that's the first time I think I ever saw Bailey. I saw her wrestle uh, live. And even then I knew, you know, fantastic talent. Um, And these three women are back and back in really cool fashion. You know, just the way it kind of all went down. What say you? Yeah, Definitely. I think the way they present themselves, the, the confidence that they all had coming into the ring, um, I don't know if that was more of a Triple H effect or just more of them uh, and their persona that they were taking to the ring. But you could definitely tell that a new era in the WWE was was coming to, if, right. if you will. And I like the direction they were going. Um, and then I think it was the, the next night on Raw, we we find out that uh, Becky was hurt and yeah. all that. So I don't know what, what's going to happen. Um, but at that moment, I'm like, all right, like this is a storyline that I can get behind. I was happy Bailey was back. I was wondering when she was going to come back. Cause I think she was able or at least at the initially medically able to return at WrestleMania around that right. time. And I don't know if there was a setback or it just a, creative they didn't have anything for right. her um so i was excited to see her back i was a little confused by bianca's um expressions in the right ring. yeah because it, it almost like seemed like she was laughing and happy 
Um, yeah. So I, I, I really at first couldn't tell what was going on. Um, and again, as a 37-year-old, maybe my naiveness shouldn't really kick in like that at times, but <laughs> it, it, it did. But it was it was just an awesome thing to see overall. Yeah, it was totally awesome. Um, and then from there, we went to Logan Paul uh, defeating The Miz in about 14 minutes. Uh, you know, I, I I have to admit, I wasn't familiar with Logan Paul. Maybe I'm kind of dating myself here a little bit. But, um, you know, when I was watching the promos leading up to the match, I just thought, was he, I don't know, was this just a new wrestler or something? I didn't realize he was like uh, social media and YouTube sensation or I even have that right, honestly. Again, I'm probably sounding like an old fart here, but he had a great match with The Miz. I, I, mean, I mean, The Miz really is awesome. He, he is a great in-ring performer. Uh, I remember when he first, uh, you know, was on Tough Enough, uh, I remember telling my sisters, because he was on, I want to say it was either Real World or Road Rules. It was one of those uh, first reality shows, really, there were reality shows on MTV, and my sisters used to watch those all the time. So they knew who he was, and I remember telling them, like, oh, the Miz is a, he's going to be in wrestling now, and then eventually he did make it to WWE and multi-time WWE champion, among many other accolades. Uh, and well, Yeah, Logan Paul, great athlete. I mean, um, yeah, what, what do you think? They did, and I can't remember, it, it, it had it in that match. I don't think it was the, uh, the McAfee match that he did the uh, frog slap. Yeah, yeah, I was just so checking Logan, that. That was that match, yeah. I I, re, now, I remember the text I send you guys. I don't remember the text that you guys send mm. me all the time. <laughs> but I, I sent you a, guys a text saying, like, I love that frog splash just for the pure fact that he jumped well. I mean, he, he hit the Miz on the frog splash. But that was one of the only frog splashes I've seen from the top turnbuckle onto the announce tables that he didn't land short. Yeah, yeah, kind of, I remember he, you texting that. Yeah, I don't want to say like you overshot it because you mm -hmm. did it, but his whole body landed on the announce table, not on that front ledge of the announce table. So I was like, wow, like he had the height, he has the athleticism, um, and I, I was I was surprised. I think they also did a tag team match at WrestleMania too. Yes, yeah, I think uh, they were on the same team at that point. Too, but WrestleMania <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um. So I, I saw him there and. He was he was pretty good there, but he was much better here. Um, and it, listen, if there's anyone who could bring out the best in anybody, it, it has to be the Miz. Yeah. The Miz, I think, is I don't say underrated, but he I don't think he's as appreciated as he should be for what he does to talent. I agree. Yeah, I fully agree. And I was actually just going to say, like, I think a lot of that. Obviously, Logan Paul gave 120 percent there. He did a beautiful uh, frog splash. I mean, it just looked perfect. I dare say it would have made Eddie Guerrero proud. But um, but the Miz being the veteran, I mean, really, I'm sure, led him through that whole match. And it was incredible. Yeah, my hat's, my hat's off to them. Um, after that, we had Bobby Lashley uh, defeating Theory by submission. Um, now, I'm going to be honest. There were a bunch of matches at SummerSlam I didn't watch. Uh, for people listening, uh, my wife and I just had a baby. We have a three-month-old, so there's a, a lot less time <laughs> than there used to be. So there are uh, certain matches, uh, a three-month... I said three-month-old, right? Yeah, three-month-old. You just say three-month-old. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, for a second, I thought I said three-year-old. I was like, no. Um, but anyway... Don't rush the time. Right, right. Um, 
you know, so I didn't get to watch every match, uh, every match. But I will say Theory, it looks like at this point they dropped the Austin. They're not calling him Austin Theory, and they're just calling him Theory, which I yeah, really they, like. they've done that for a while now. Right. Um, they, they've done that for a while where they just called him Theory. Right. Um, I don't know. There was a reason for it. I don't know. That was a Vince, that was a Vince thing. I would think I just believe. for the fact that, like, arguably, I mean, how could I put this here? I mean, it's hard to say who's the most important superstar of uh, all time, the biggest superstar of all time. But the comp- the the man who brought the company out of uh, its slump when it was losing the Monday Night Wars, really, that's 99% of that has got to be attributed to Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it'd be kind of like naming another wrestler like Hulk Smith or or Bradley Hogan. Like, you know what I mean? I, I don't see why you would use another infamous wrestler's name um, in someone's name, unless it's something common, like John or something like that. Like, you know, so I'm glad that they finally dropped the Austin and he's just theory, which is kind of a neat name, I think. Yeah, it, it really is. It's that one simple, uh, one simple name gets that point across. Um, it's a name that the, the, the fans could, could chant in disgust or, or, or love. Um, it was just a smart move to drop the Austin. Yeah. And what did you think of the match? I'll be honest. Well, uh, I did not watch the match. And, gotcha. Um, I wanted to go back and watch it today in preparation for the show, but um, I think I was reading a bedtime story to one of my two kids. <laughs> um, so We're very busy people, folks. There were popcorn matches. Uh, I, I had a... A bedtime story match. Yeah, you know, um, I think there were a few matches, and this is every card. I don't care if it's SummerSlam, WrestleMania, you know, any event. There are matches. Uh, you know, it's like uh, I'm gonna date myself here. I'll call it an album, not a CD, because I'll really date myself. It's like when you listen to an album. There's some tracks you listen to more than others. There's some songs you're not as interested in. You know, this was a little bit of a throwaway match for me. I mean, I really like Bobby Lashley in theory. Uh, I'm not super into theory. He is great, but it just, he hasn't, I liked everything that I've watched him in so far, but he hasn't really like, I don't know. That's just me personally. He's, he is great though. No doubt about it. He's great. But, um, I kind of figured he wasn't going to win the U S title and he was already touting that he was going to cash in the money in the bank, uh, which we'll talk more about later. So I kind of felt like in some ways it was a throwaway match, uh, even with, uh, for Lashley. Yeah. And moving on from there, we have the Mysterios, Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio defeated Judgment Day, Finn Balor and Damian Priest in about 11 minutes. I mean, real quick, let's talk about Rey Mysterio and Dominic. I mean, I can remember, you know, we've watched for so long when, when Dominic was, he was maybe like under 10, I would say, when he had that whole storyline with Eddie Guerrero. And to this day... Uh, I, I, whenever I, I see Dominic, I, all I can think about is that ladder match between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. And to tell a quick story here, I, I don't think you were there for this, Kevin, but I think Dan and I went to Dan's old roommate, Tim. You remember Tim? Um, I remember Tim, yeah. yeah, we went to his house, and he had a bunch of friends over, uh, including a bunch of girls who, like, you know, just weren't really into the wrestling but they watched this match because it was so messed up. And for anybody who doesn't remember, the storyline, and correct me if I'm wrong with anything here, Kevin, the storyline was that 
Eddie Guerrero was actually the biological father of Dominic and Rey Mysterio wasn't. And I think they were battling for custody of the kid in a ladder match. And the papers were in a briefcase above the ring. Do I have that right? Is that what you recall? It was like, it was like a Judy Bagwell on a pole. Match. Yes. But yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was, it, that's exactly what it was, Nick. It was the custody of Dominic Mysterio uh, or Dominic Guerrero, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, right. Ladder match. And I remember, like, I mean, obviously that is ridiculous. That's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever done. But it was almost like a guilty pleasure. It was interesting. And I remember even the, the girls that were there who were not into it started watching because they were so interested in, like, just the ridiculous story. And then the match, of course, was phenomenal. I mean, you have those two guys in the ring, particularly Guerrero, who we all miss so much. You know, phenomenal match. And one thing I remember the most is Dominic at some point gets in the ring uh, while Mysterio is down. And remember, Dominic's probably under 10. Let's say he's 8 at this point, something like that. And he, he's in character. And I know it wasn't supposed to be funny, but it came across so funny to me. He walks up to Dominic and goes, Dominic, what are you doing? Hug me. <laughs> Just like, ridiculous. And now he's wrestling with his father. And, he, and he's pretty good. Uh, you know, and this is another match, I got to be honest, I didn't watch. Um, I haven't been following the Judgment Day storyline. Um, did you watch this one? I did watch this one. Okay, what'd you um, think? I was, I'm still waiting for Dominic to turn on right. Yeah, you um, think it's going to that, happen? That's my gut. Um, I thought, I mean, it didn't happen at SummerSlam. I thought it was going to happen on, I think the next night was Ray's 20th anniversary. thought it was going to happen then. It didn't. Um, but I, I thought it was, I thought it was a good match for what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, the return of edge, um, at SummerSlam. Yeah. with kind of a broodish theme. I did see the clip of him yeah. coming back. He didn't use the brood music, but he used kind of the gimmick a little bit with it. Exactly. That rising up, um, coming down from the staircase with the fire all around him. I, I, and not that I'm one to speak in. I know my. I don't know if we're doing this on video or audio, Nick. But I, I know mm -hmm. you saw me before. You can't see me now, but I have a beard going, so I'm not one to talk. <laughs> um, but I, I am glad. I'm glad that uh, Edge trimmed his beard to be more manageable. Um, <laughs> it's not like all long and, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that on him either. I, I like the shorter beard on him. He just yeah. looks too like like I feel like creatures could be growing in his beard. Like at that point. Exactly. So uh, to see Edge return and uh, was was great. I do think that whole Judgment Day storyline got ruined when uh, when they kicked Edge out, right, uh, of, of the faction. Um, I, I thought they could have done a lot more things with it, and then pretty much everyone gets injured. Yeah, uh, you know, right, right as that happens. Um, but I, I'm interested in, in seeing where it goes. Again, it has to be with the, with the new creative that's just getting me a little more into things and and saying, okay, now now there's a new sheriff in town. Let's see what direction yeah. things things going. Uh, how do we kind of dig ourselves out of out of the mess, if you will? And not that this is necessarily a mess, but right, right, right. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, uh, it was mm -hmm. it, it was a good match, and again, I was really watching waiting for Dominic to turn and, and that's where my attention was drawn on, on this match more than anything. What do, what do you think about that? Like, do you think one, they'll do that? And two, what do you think about like a father versus son feud? And the reason I'm asking that is like, 
you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I like, uh, you know, I get along with my dad so well. I love him to death. So I remember way back when, when Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon, father and son, had a bunch of matches together. I was, it always made me feel a little uncomfortable, to be honest. Now, obviously, I know that it's storyline and everything like that. So, but even just within the context of the story, brother versus brother was one thing. They had done that a lot. But father versus son, I always found a little weird, you know. Um, you know, so what, what do you think about that if they were to do that and have matches together? I mean, it's not unheard of in wrestling. You know, I heard Jerry Lawler did it with his son back in the Mid South, like eons ago. But what do you think? It would have to be for something. It, it, it just couldn't be uh, a father versus son. It would have to be, you know, for, for example, um, and it would never go down this way, but I'm, I'm just giving you mm -hmm. an, an example. It comes out that um, Eddie is actually Dominic's father type of thing. Right, where Dominic right. just kind of turns turns on Ray. It would have to be for a good storyline and for a good reason for me to be interested in it happening, mm -hmm. not just all of a sudden Dominic turning his back on Ray just because, well, I, I felt like <laughs> yeah, yeah, type of thing, which we've seen yeah. happen in, in, in the past. So um, if, if Vince was still running things, I could see it happening with Triple H in, in control now. I give it less than a 50% chance of happening, but it would have to happen, I would think, at a Survivor Series or a WrestleMania type of pay-per-view coming up. Yeah, and um, you know, going off that, I was just thinking this, giving the example before, the little anecdote I just talked about with the match with Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero way back when, um, what are they saying in storyline? Are they saying that Dominic is Ray's son? Because I thought in storyline a while back, they proved that, again, storyline, that Guerrero was his biological father. So are they just kind of calling Dominic Ray's son? Is he supposed to be his biological son? Did they kind of change that? Do you know? Does anybody I'm know? calling him his son. Uh, but also remember, wasn't uh, and the, the timing is poor, and I think my timeline may be a little off, so for, forgive me, and then... Um, if, if, if I'm on again, Nick, we could correct myself or you could correct me. Um, but I think it was like a, a week before September 11th or so, 2001, where oh, Vince's limousine blew up. Oh, um, yeah. And Vince was in it. Um, and then Vince. No, that was in September 11th. I think that was right before. No, it was a week, a week before. The, you know, September 11th, 2001. I thought that was a week before Benoit did everything. It was it was before something big, right? So yeah. before something it was before something big. Vince's limousine blew up with Vince in it, right? It right. Supposed, and then it was supposed to like quote unquote kill him off, right? But right. What, what happened next week? We saw Vince, right? Um, yeah. So the, you know, there's always that room for, you know, um, I don't say error, but there's always that room for wiggle room in storyline, right? So they're just calling him father and son. I, they're not, yeah. They're not using the term biological son for Dominic and Ray. Gotcha. Yeah, and I suppose at one point they could always say, you know, you're not my real father. I mean, I guess they could go there, but that's a little... I know wrestling is technically a soap opera, if you really had to define it, but that's a little too soap opera for me. I kind of like the more, like, you know, I'm a fan of championships. Like, I like fighting for a championship. You know, we're, we'll get to that more in a bit, but yeah, it's interesting. We'll, we'll see where this goes. 
Um, next up, we had Pat McAfee uh, defeating Happy Corbin uh, by pinfall. 10-40, uh, uh, clean victory. I watched that match. I loved it. I, I'm a big fan of Pat McAfee. I, I love his commentary. I think he brings so much to the table with the commentary, with his kind of personality and character and all that. Um, and, uh, you know, the Happy Corbin gimmick, it's growing on me. I, I didn't like it at first, to be honest, but uh, I actually think he's he's a great athlete, uh, Corbin. Uh, and I think um, for a big man, he's one of those guys that he, you forget how big he is until you see him up against someone. I think he's a legit 6'6", and... I want to say they advertise him as being 280. He's probably a little less than that. but uh, And I think they bill him as being 6'8". But regardless, big dude, he can move really, really well. Um, I don't want to compare him to The Undertaker. I think The Undertaker was in a whole lot of elite, uh, another league. But he does kind of remind me of The Undertaker in a sense where, when The Undertaker... Uh, I was going to say when he was younger, but really up until the end of his career. Sometimes you forgot how big he was because he moved so fast. And moves so well. Uh, so I was really impressed with the match. And I was really impressed with Pat McAfee. Um, I like that he's kind of both a wrestler and a commentator. Um, there's one part of me that wants me to see him be just a wrestler and go to the top. I, I, I think he's that good or at least could get to that level. But there's another part of me that really likes that he kind of does both. It kind of reminds me of like the early 90s when like Piper would do that. Like, you know, Roddy Piper would be doing commentary and wrestling occasionally. I, I Shawn Michaels did it for a while in the early 90s. He would do commentary once in a while. Uh, Jerry Lawler is the best example, but he wrestled not very often in WWE, WWF at the time. Uh, did you get a chance to see the match, and what were your thoughts? Yeah. It, dude, McAfee is something else. So, I, you know, I enjoy his uh, podcasts whenever I can listen to it. Right. But like you said, his his commentary is just off the hook. So before we were recording, I, you know, I was talking to you about TikTok and there are so many wrestling things on TikTok that I just watch. I don't necessarily right. follow, but they just come up. I watch it and people um, are, are just videoing, videoing him on their phones and you can just see how animated he is. Right. Right. The yeah. Commentary, which, which is great, which is, I think, which is what we need as, audiences at home yeah but also audience members in you know in, in the arena as well um something i didn't know i didn't know that i i knew pat mcafee played football i knew mm -hmm. he was a punter for the indianapolis colts i knew all that but i didn't know that he was actually teammates with happy corbin yeah is that crazy I yeah i did not know that until i was watching the match and, and they said it um so that that was great but um yeah mcafee if you could do that dual role that dual role mm -hmm. i think that's great i don't want to see him just be a wrestler because like i said i think we as fans whether we're watching at home on friday night or in the arena we need to see that that excitement we, we don't get it from yes. any other commentator who, who's standing up on the desk you know doing the air guitar or air violin <laughs> yeah Nakamura, you know coming down so that that's just pretty cool in itself but great, great match. Yeah, it really it is. Great, but it was, it, was a, it was a really good match. Um, surprising, in, in a sense, because I'm not sure what we get out of McAfee, but right. um, with every match he has, seems to be getting a little bit better. Yeah, fully agree. Fully agree. And um, 
to, to kind of go off that two things with Pat McAfee being so animated when he does commentary, like you can, I mean, you know me for a long time and you see me even now as we're talking, I'm moving my hands a lot and everything like that, even though I can't see you. Uh, and by the way, for anyone listening, we're, we're new to the podcast thing. So right now what we have going is, uh, we're on Google meet right now. Before we started, we were having a little Wi-Fi trouble. So Kevin turned off his, uh, camera and I'm actually recording this with, uh, uh, like a attached wireless microphone uh, on my iPhone right now. So we're using like five different things of technology. Um, but like I talk with my hands a lot. And as actors, that's what we do. Even when you do voiceovers, you move around. You don't just stay still or anything like that. And I, I think commentators should uh, do that more, get a little more into it physically. And speaking of which with commentators, maybe it's just in my head because of what happened. But I noticed a huge and a much better difference with Michael Cole's commentary. Did you notice that? Or do you think it still sounds kind of the same? I've noticed it, and I've noticed subtle digs he's been giving um, every <laughs> now and then. And I don't catch them the first time. Um, I, you know, on social media, people pick up on it and they'll just replay things. Um, he just said something the other day where he goes, I've been having, I've been yelled at for like 25 years, like, <laughs> leave me alone type, type, type of thing. He said something along those lines, which alludes to the fact that Vince was giving him coaching advice, right. commentating, commentating advice through, through the headset. So I think if um, he's only going to get better, and that's hard to say because he's been doing this for 25 years. Right, yeah. But without having someone talking to him in his headset as he's giving us the play-by-play, -play, I think he's just going to get better and he's going to feel more relaxed and not have to worry about getting uh, – maybe he was getting ripped apart backstage. Yeah. I, I don't know. We, this is pure speculation. If, you know, we're, we're not back there. We have right. no inside information. Um, but I, I have noticed a, a difference, uh, and, and I'm, I can't believe I'll say it, but I'm, I'm happy for him because I Me too. never really liked him. Yeah, but hearing all the struggles he was going through, it, it makes me happy that he doesn't have to worry about about that anymore. Because no one should have to work in a job environment where they're, you know, getting yelled at or or, or being coached like that just nonstop, and they can't be themselves. Yeah, I, I fully agree, and and it makes sense now. Like you know what I mean? For the longest time, it didn't make sense to me because like. You know, he started as a, a news reporter and then eventually came to, at the time, WWF and slowly made his way into commentary and then became basically the main guy in commentary. And I was never into his commentary and it wasn't a lack of talent. It was just, I couldn't figure out what it was for the longest time. And then, you know, we kind of figured out because I think Foley was the first one who came out and said it. Mick Foley, when he was doing commentary on SmackDown for a while, he didn't last long, and he came out and said it. He said, because Vince McMahon is in our ears telling us what to say every five minutes or every minute, I couldn't take it. It was driving me crazy. Like, you know, and now it kind of makes sense. And, like, he always sounded mechanical to me. Not that he yeah. wasn't a good speaker. He was always a good speaker. He told great stories. He knew his stuff about wrestling and about the stories, but it always sounded mechanical to me. This was the first time it did not sound mechanical to me. He he actually, I don't want to use the word screwed up because this isn't screwing up. I just don't know what other term to use for it. But there were a few times he stumbled over his words or hesitated a little bit or called a wrestler the wrong name or something like that. Didn't bother me one bit. 
because it was real. And it sounded like somebody was actually watching the match and giving comments on it. It sounded real. And that's what I think makes it great. That's what JR was always like. Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, um, Jerry Lawler originally. Later on, when Jerry Lawler kind of after the Attitude Era, I didn't like his commentary. He's same thing. He started sounding mechanical to me, you know, and not being just Jerry Lawler. Now he's just being Michael Cole, and I loved it. You know, finally, when, you know. When 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 you have no competition, mm. um, you could you could have people be the way you want them to be. When you have competition, you can uh, tell people to go. Off uh oh, Kevin might have lost you for a second there. Can you hear me? Oh, Kevin Donatello has left the meeting, ladies and gentlemen. I'll either edit this part out until he comes back on, or uh, I'll just talk for myself here. But uh, I think what Kevin was alluding to right there was just, you know, Michael Cole did start during the Attitude Era. So, and that was a whole different era right there. Um, and, you know, th that kind of mechanical being fed what to say to say all the time i mean i suppose there is some merit to it but you could tell as a fan and i think we could all tell and i see a difference and personally i'm very very happy for the guy so while uh, while kevin is uh, attempting to log back onto his google meets i'm just going to quickly talk about uh two more matches here um the usos uh defeated the street profits by pinfall uh, for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship. little over 13 minutes. Uh, personally, I didn't watch the match. Uh, one thing I will say, and um, you know, this is something we could talk about a little bit uh, when Kevin comes back on. One thing I will say is that uh, I enjoy... Um, how could I put it? I, I like that they unified the titles. And the same thing with the world titles. I never liked the separation of world titles. That's probably a whole other talk for a whole other podcast. Uh, but I like that the titles are unified. What I don't like uh, is that they are still carrying around multiple belts. And I don't understand that with Roman Reigns either. That tells me that they're probably going to separate the titles again. And I don't understand why. But I really, really hope that they don't do that and they just keep them unified. Uh, I think particularly with the Tag Team Championship, you could do that. Um, the Tag Team Division is is really, really good right now, and you could certainly keep that going. But um, who knows? I would need a partner to talk to about that. But unfortunately, again, he's still not here at the moment. He's trying to uh, log back in. And I'm pretty sure I could stop recording this and then continue. But to stay on the safe side, I'm just going to keep talking and keep talking. Why not? You all love my voice, don't you? So I uh, didn't get to see that match. I saw the very end of the Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey match. Uh, Ronda Rousey uh, defeated by pinfall. This was a really interesting finish here with Liv Morgan um, accidentally pinning Ronda Rousey while Ronda had her in a uh, submission hold. It is a finish that was used uh, in the past. Uh, they used it with Undertaker and Kurt Angle way back when. Um, Ironically, another Undertaker match, not by pin, but they used it with a Brock Lesnar Undertaker match, which I want to say was a SummerSlam. Um, uh, even though the finish has been used before, finish meaning the end of the match, um, 
I really like the fact that uh, they use it. I think it worked. And I liked how chaotic everything uh, is right now with that. And wait a minute, I hear a little beep here. There we go. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. You know what, Kevin? I'm going to turn off. I don't know if this will make a difference, but I'm going to turn off my camera too, uh, just in case. So I don't know if I'm going to edit this out later or just leave it or not, but I actually kind of just talked through the next two matches. Um, so let's just go through them uh, kind of briefly. Usos and the Street Profits. Did you get a chance to watch that one? I did not watch that one, but um, so whatever you said, uh, great. <laughs> Sounds good. One question for you about that. The Usos unified the SmackDown and Raw tag team titles. They're still walking around with two belts. I don't know why each, two belts each. I mean, what do you think about the championships being unified? And might as well just start talking about this too, just really quickly. Then we'll get to the match later. But the world titles unified with Roman Reigns. What do you think of that? Or do you think the titles should still be separated? No, I think they should. Be. So from, from the fan standpoint, right. I think it should definitely be one tag team belt. One one universal championship belt, whatever you want to call it, uh, one belt. So one from, world title, one world tag team title for both shows. Correct. From the business standpoint, though, Nick, I understand why USA Network wants to have their own belt and, and why Fox would want to have their own belt. Now, obviously, that's not playing out right now because you have one champion. Right. Um, but the history prior to it, I understand why they why they wanted that. Each show wanted to have a champion. So from that business standpoint, I understand it. But from the fan standpoint, just make it one championship. That's all you have to do. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I agree. We, we have to do another episode down the line. Maybe with some other guests that disagree. I never personally liked the brand split. I know I'm in the minority with that. And one of the reasons was I never liked there being two world titles. Uh, to me, that's like having two Best Actor Oscars or uh, two winners of the Super Bowl. Like, I, I don't understand the point of it. Uh, I guess when you talk about the business standpoint, it could make sense. And also, if you're really separating the two shows, and I feel like every time they do the brand split, they start off good, but within a few months, they're just back to throwing everyone everywhere. You know, my question is, like, why are they still carrying around multiple belts? Like, why not, you know, why is uh, Roman Reigns still carrying around two belts? Part of me is scared that he's they're not really unified, that he's going to lose just one belt at one point. What do you think? You want to know why? It makes him look powerful, Nick. Yeah, I think guess so. It, right? Two, two belts, Roman Reigns holding two belts above his head. He looks powerful like that, right? Two is better than one. The Uso is carrying around four belts that makes him look powerful. And I get what you I get what you're saying. That okay, well, I'll only put this belt on the line tonight or whatever it happens. Right, so right. I get that. I get that. But I think it just makes them look so much more powerful. And for the storyline they're going with, the head of the table, the bloodline, um, it, it's it's perfect. It, it fits in uh, with what they're going for. Good points. And, you know, uh, yeah, kind of going off that, I'll notice sometimes Roman Reigns will wear one belt and um, Paul Heyman will carry the other. 
Or sometimes they'll have just, you know, Paul Heyman carrying both or the Usos carrying them or something. They do that in boxing a lot, you know, when they uh, come to the ring and there's many different titles in boxing. And sometimes they could have three championships at a time and their cronies will be carrying all three. And it does look kind of cool. So that's a good point with it. Um, before we get to the main event, uh, I caught the very end of the Morgan Rousey match. Uh, did you get to see that? And if so, what were your thoughts? No, I did not get to see this match. Oh. Uh, the only thing I know is that Rousey is suspended and fined for her actions. So <laughs> I did not get to see this match. And you know what? I'll be honest. I fell asleep during the um, the Uso Profit match, and I had to watch uh, the, the 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 Lesnar Reigns match the next morning. Right. Okay. Um, on Peacock, so I missed I missed this match. It is a long show, and uh, I'm glad they're doing it on Saturdays now. I don't understand why they ever did it on Sundays. Uh, I, I love that they do it on Saturdays. Um, but uh, I talked about the very end of the Rousey match before, so we could leave that as it is. And let's get to the big one, the main event. Uh, Roman Reigns defeats Brock Lesnar uh, in 23 minutes in a last-man-standing match for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. That is a mouthful. I don't understand why it can't just be the WWE World title, but okay. But... Um, that was a crazy match, and I loved every second of it. I do have one or two critiques, but um, they're, they're very forg forgivable things. Um, crazy match. Uh, just to take anyone listening through it real quick who didn't watch it, first of all, go and watch it. Uh, these two guys did an outstanding job uh, in general, just with the match itself, using every weapon imaginable. At some point, Brock Lesnar drives a tractor to the ring and lifts up the ring while Roman Reigns is in it and basically kind of like curves it. And Roman Reigns completely shoots from one side of the ring to the other and out. Um, it's just an extremely awesome visual. And they finally defeat Lesnar by, you know, the Usos interfering and... Uh, Paul Heyman even takes a bump uh, through a table. Brock Lesnar gives him an F5 through a table. Uh, Paul Heyman would be the first one to tell you he is not an athlete. And that's a hell of a bump to take. So I don't know how they convinced him to do that, but good for him. He took it well. It looked awesome. Um, and then the Usos and Roman Reigns basically bury uh, Brock Lesnar in a table, chairs, uh, anything they could get their hands on just to keep him down for the 10 count, and they finally do it. Uh, I think that's another great example of someone losing but still looking extremely strong. It was an amazing match. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I thought it was uh, phenomenal. Um, I just want to go back to what you had said about Brock Lesnar lifting the ring with right. the tractor. Um, if, I, I, if I find it again, I'll send it to you. Sure. But uh, so, this is why I love the internet, Nick. The internet is awesome. <laughs> um, someone on TikTok um, who was in, who had ringside seats, right. filmed Brock Lesnar doing that and uh, put the music to uh, the Titanic. My heart was falling <laughs> falling out of the ring. It, it was, I mean, the, the internet's just awesome for, for things <laughs> like that. I'm like, this is great. Um, it was a match. I really had visions of um, 
I thought Roman was going to come out on top because I do think this is the end of Brock Lesnar for a while, if not right. for, for good in the WWE. Yeah. Um, but I did have visions of someone using the tractor to um, pin, not, not I want to say pin, but to, yeah, to, to bury, to pin uh, their opponent, kind of like what uh, The Rock did to Mankind. Right, right, in, right, right. In 1999. And I, right. And I, I was hoping that wouldn't be the case, but I'm like, well, that's just kind of a cheap way to do it. Yeah. Um, but I thought the, the match overall was a very good match. Yeah. I didn't know what I was going to expect from the two of them, um, but it exceeded my expectations for sure. Yeah, those two guys are heavy hitters. I mean, they take crazy, crazy bumps. I mean, and they're, I mean, Roman Reigns, uh, both these guys, we know that WWE, wrestling in general, exaggerates heights and weights, but these are still huge people. And they're, they were billing Roman Reigns, I believe, at 265 and Brock at 285. I think that's accurate, um, if not a little low for the their sizes. And these guys are taking all these suplexes and slams and crazy bumps for 23 minutes. These are two huge, huge dudes, you know, doing this. Um, I completely forgot uh, Lesnar dumped Reigns out of the tractor. At one point, uh, I think he did that. Yeah, which was just—it was brilliant. It was—it it was really like brilliant uh, storytelling. I think it, it was really cool, and especially for Brock's character, like Brock kind of changed his character recently, and I like it. He's more of a character than he was before. Like before, I remember I was talking to you guys about this earlier today. I can't find the clip. I, I guess it was taken off of YouTube. But there was a Raw a while back where after Lesnar laid waste to a bunch of people in the ring, he's walking to the back with Heyman, and the camera catches him going, I am a mercenary! Which just sounded <laughs> ridiculous to me. But really, that's what his character was like. He was kind of just this basically UFC fighter that would pop up here and there and beat people up, and then go away for six months and come back, that kind of thing. But now he's more of a character. You know, it's really kind of... Not that the other character wasn't him, but this is like really, really him. Uh, it, it it was a brilliant, and I and I think it was a brilliant finish. How else are you going to beat a uh, two hundred eighty five pound pound former UFC champion? You know, you're going to bury him under a ton a ton of rubble. That's the only way to do it. I thought it was really well done. Oh, and Kevin is actually calling. I'm resuming right now. It works fine. So we are uh, picking up right where we left off. We just had a little uh, technical error a second ago. And Kev, I was just saying that I just absolutely loved the ending. I thought it was realistic and funny and entertaining at the same time. Whole nine yards. What'd you think? I thought it was good. A really good ending, strong ending. Um, the, the one thing I will have, and I don't want to sound like a complaining uh, you know, person, mm -hmm. but it was very similar to the ending um, of uh, Seth Rollins and uh, The Fiend. Um, oh, did they have a match like that? I don't remember. Hell in the Cell match. Do you, re do you remember that, Nick? I remember them having a Hell in the Cell match, but I don't remember the finish. What was the finish? There, there, there was the finish of Seth Rollins just kind of dumping everything on The Fiend so he wouldn't to pin him? Kind of get up, and it would just end like in a disqualification. Oh, day. the DQ um, finish! Yeah, you DQ in a Hell in a Cell match. Don't get me started on that one. Yeah, no, that that was the worst. But that, but but I think the ending. I think that was one of the only ways that you could actually end that 
kind of match with Brock Lesnar, just piling everything and yeah. standing on it, or you suplex him or, or push him through an electrical cable, and that clearly wasn't happening. <laughs> the uh, only critique I have of the match is there were quite a few times where they were counting Roman Reigns, and I feel like the ref was buying some time for him to actually get up. Uh, and also, they never really established... I believe the count is supposed to break when the wrestler gets to his knees. Um, but they never quite established that. Sometimes the ref will break the count then, sometimes he doesn't. And I think there were a few times it was obvious they were fudging a little bit. Either Reigns was probably legitimately hurting and taking too long to get up, or the ref wasn't sure of the speed he had a count on. There were a few moments like that, but... Again, the match was just so good. I think it was easily forgivable. Easily, e e easily. Now, did you mention me here? Because mm -hmm. I, I know, I know you, me, and Dan have have talked about this. Um, Michael Cole. He mentioned the ref's name. He did. Yes, I loved it. The referees, were, they're human beings. Times, I think during SummerSlam that, that that happened. If it wasn't during, I know they did it during that match, but maybe it was during Monday Night Raw. But I think we're going to hear a lot more names. Instead of saying the official, the official, the official. Yeah. So watch out for that. I think that's going to make you you very happy. It will make me very happy. It's a great point. Again, it just makes it more realistic. I mean, wrestling is it the most realistic thing in the world. So you have to really suspend your disbelief. And little things like that help. Like, I never understood why they stopped referring to referees by names. You, you know, and it never made sense to me. Um, they're important characters in the story. Without the referee... And 99% of the matches, you can't have the match. You can't have the story. So um, I, I, I love that. And now um, to cap it off, let's talk about the venue. Uh, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the setup, and I want to talk about the crowd itself. So WWE lately, I, I'm a real old school guy when it comes to visuals and the crowds. I'm not a big fan of sets. Uh, I'm not saying I don't think they look cool. Some sets look like really, really amazing. I was at a SummerSlam years ago where they at um, what was then the Continental Airlines Arena where they had like a really magnificent set. But maybe this is just the performer in me. I like seeing the entire crowd. And also sets take out a lot of seats. It usually takes out like a, depending on the size of the arena, I want to say a quarter of the size of the arena. Um, so if you have, um, this may not be exactly a quarter, but like, you know, let's say you have a 20,000 seat arena, your uh, rings, uh, your, excuse me, your stage setup is going to take out like 5,000 seats easily. So, um, I never liked that. Uh, if I had it my way, I would not have any sets at all. I'm not a big fan of sets, uh, or I would have sets that don't take out seats and they had kind of a mini set here, but it didn't take out any seats. And they've been doing that a lot lately when they go to these big venues for, Royal Rumble and SummerSlam and things like that. They're still having these huge sets at WrestleMania, but I'm a fan of just seeing the crowd, you know, and and uh, the whole shebang there. And, you know, WWE is so overproduced. Uh, I'll steal Bischoff's words, overproduced as it is. Like, it's kind of nice not seeing all that crap, for lack of a better word, like in front there. What do you think? Yeah, I I exactly. Um I, I don't. I know we were talking a little before we recorded, Nick. I don't know what it is. If they're just having trouble selling the tickets, if they don't want to sell the tickets, but mm. they're they're, good, they're picking these venues for a reason. 
And if you're picking these these large venues, don't block off seats. Yeah, exactly. And I would imagine just it. Just don't 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 do it. Yeah, and I would imagine I, I can't imagine the cost it must have to create these huge lavish sets and how long it takes and everything like that. But let's get to the crowd. They were advertising the crowd of being uh, around forty eight thousand, I believe. Um. It hasn't come out what the quote-unquote actual crowd was. I mean, WWE, all wrestling companies, let's call spade a spade, have exaggerated crowds in the past. There's a big question as to how much they've exaggerated, whether it's a few thousand people or tens of thousands of people. Uh, I would love to do a, you know, a whole other show on like crowd sizes and stuff like that. But what is for sure is the WWE blocked off a huge amount of seats on the hard camera side. So for people who don't know what the hard camera is, that's the main camera that looks at the ring. So what wrestling promoters want is for the audience at home to see the crowd behind the um, behind the ring. Okay, You don't want to see empty seats behind the ring. It's not a good visual, and it's kind of a downer. And when, um, again, not just WWE, any, any company has a low attendance, AEW, I'm sure, has done this. What they'll do is they'll move the crowd in front of the hard camera. That way, on television, it appears like it's a full crowd. And it certainly appeared like it was sold out. Certainly, the section where the camera was looking at was sold out. However, behind the camera, uh, I believe floor seats were full, but the rest of the stadium wasn't. I believe the stadium seats around 70,000 for like a boxing event or a concert, which would really be, if the arena was full, what it should be for wrestling. But they sold a little more than half of that, apparently. And the big question is, could they not sell the tickets and they chose to do that setup? Or did they think, you know what, it's not a WrestleMania Let's just go for selling half the tip tickets and we're going to tarp off the rest of the arena. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to say they couldn't sell the tickets. Really? Wow. And Yeah, I, I, I am. And they had this issue with money in the bank. Yeah, tell, tell us about the money in the bank thing. I didn't know about this. What was that? Uh, tell us about the money in the bank thing. I, I honestly didn't know about this. So money in the bank, again, not one of their biggest pay-per-views, right? You have the Royal Rumble, you have WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. Those right. are your traditional main four, you know, pay-per-views or historically. Mm -hmm. um, so Money in the Bank, not one of your biggest ones, but it was supposed to be, and it was advertised for Alliance Stadium in Las Vegas, where the Las Vegas Raiders play. So a football right. stadium, brand new stadium, gorgeous stadium from what I've seen. Um, top of the line, um, they couldn't sell enough tickets. So according to Forbes magazine, which I think we all could say is a reputable, ma reputable magazine. It's not mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, they couldn't sell enough tickets. So they moved it to the MGM grand arena, which is still in Las Vegas. Um, so that's just an indication to me that for money in the bank, they definitely couldn't sell enough tickets. They couldn't sell yeah. tickets for SummerSlam. It had nothing to do with the set. Um, you know, I'm a big TikTok guy. Uh -huh. um, I'm not here to promote that stuff, Nick. But <laughs> um, just from what I was seeing through the, the wrestling videos that people were there, there were tons of seats that were blocked off, blacked out, 
you know, the, the tarp that were not obstructed at all. Wow. Um, okay. With, 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 with the screen or with anything at all. And I almost had to watch the video. Actually, not almost. I watched the video two or three times to be like, wait a minute. Like, are they using some kind of filter to, to, to hide the crowd? Right. Because it looked that small. Wow. Um, it, it was it was incredible. If I come across these videos, I'll, I'll share them. Yeah, send them to me. I didn't watch Money in the Bank. You don't need a TikTok account to, right. to watch the videos. Um, but I, I was blown away just by um, seeing on the hard camera side of how small the crowd actually is compared to what we're actually seeing at home. Interesting. So I definitely think it, it has to do with the size of the venue. But definitely, listen, you're going to get 48,000 people. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm not taking anything away from that. You're not going to get 48,000 people in an indoor hockey arena where it only holds 18 to 20,000 people. Right. And probably even less at that point because you've got to take seats away. Right. Right. So, but if you're coming out on top from the business standpoint, you could pay the rent, you could pay your performers, right. pay the union workers for, for the lighting, the, the, the camera work, and, and all that stuff. Then, then listen, good, good for you, I guess. Um, it just, it's not a good look, though, when people are posting these things all over social media. And right. not in a disparaging way, Nick. Yeah. Because um, they're, they're not saying, hey, look at all this stuff that's blacked out. Because the videos I've, I've seen aren't that. It's just me being with a critical eye. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not good. It's, it's not a good look. It, it makes me wonder, like, why well, try to go to a stadium for a money in the bank? Like, you know what I mean? I think that might have been a little bit of an arrogant shot right there for WWE. You know, Money in the Bank is basically, but we're dating ourselves here and in your house, you know. Um, and, yeah, but SummerSlam, SummerSlam's a big deal. I mean, one Summer, uh, SummerSlam back in, what year would it have been? I believe 1992, Wembley Stadium, around 80,000 people. So SummerSlam, some people say that's even the number two show next to WrestleMania. Some people argue it's Royal Rumble. Some say it's SummerSlam. Either way, it's very, very close. So maybe so they should have been able to fill that. You have a couple of things. One with the, the money in the bank, yes. I, I completely agree with you. Why go for uh, you know, a 70,000, 80,000-seat arena at, at that point? Right. Um, if I had to get into some people's heads over in, in, in Connecticut, it would be simply because, hey, it's Las Vegas. It's a tourist attraction. It's the mm. summertime. People are going to be there. Um, listen, gambling is prevalent. People could gamble. I mean, we're in New Jersey, Nick. We could gamble right on our phones. Right. But you could, you could gamble there in Las Vegas. So um, it, it's a tourist attraction. So I could understand that reason, reasoning if, if someone was trying to sell it to me. Not that I would sign off on and say, yes, do it. But I, I could understand that reasoning. The Summer Slam in, in Wembley Stadium over in England Think about it. They don't get pay-per-views at all. That's true. Yeah. That, that's an attraction in itself. So even even next month when they go right. to, uh, you know, across the pond, as they say, no matter how many, um, no matter what the capacity is of that arena, they're going to sell out. I agree. Yeah, definitely. They don't, they, don't, they don't get that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, Kevin, we went almost an hour and a half with material we didn't even really prepare for. Originally, we were going to talk about our favorite wrestling uh, storylines. 
And, you know, with everything going on in the wrestling world right now, we just called an audible and decided to talk about something a little bit more current. But I think we're going to have to put a cap on this episode and uh, do an episode two. What do you think? I am all for it. Anytime you want to have me, Nick, uh, you know my number. I'm, I'm, I'm all for this. You got it, man. And now my next step is just to figure out how to actually put this out in podcast land. So, you know, give me a few days for that and hopefully we'll get it out there and get some listeners. For those of you who have been listening, thank you very much to listening to the Average Joe Wrestling Show hosted by Nick LaTrenta with Kevin Donatello. Have a great day.